be in that number when the saints go marching in. from Micah chapter 3 verses 5 through 12. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against those who put nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without revelation. The sun shall go down upon the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They sh shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin, Hear this, you rulers of the house of Jacob and chiefs of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with wrong. Its rulers give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets give oracles for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, surely the Lord is with us. No harm shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the temple a wooded height. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Our gospel reading is from Matthew 23, verses 1 to 12. Listen to what the Spirit is speaking today. Then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, do whatever they teach you and follow it. But do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on the shoulders of others. But they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love to have the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues, to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, and have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters. And call no one your father on earth, for you have one father, the one in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. 
The greatest among you will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, in whom in whose eyes there are no favorites, but only beloved children. Cure our quest for sacred power and status symbols. Give us grace to live as learners and servants of your word. Through Jesus Christ, who was abased, that we might rise. Amen. True growth and innovation only come through those who have a deep respect for tradition. You can test me on this, and I think you'll see it's true. Whether you're Pablo Picasso bringing cubism into the mainstream, or Louis Latimer inventing the carbon light bulb filament, or Marie Curie, whose work in radioactivity won her two Nobel Prizes, the most profound innovations come through those who appreciate a tradition, critique it, and then move it forwards. And you need all three if you're going to be an effective change agent. The appreciation, the critique, and then the innovation. That's what the prophets are doing in the Old Testament. That's what our Micah reading is all about. A critique of the faith that they love and a call for change. And Jesus follows in that tradition. He is critiquing his faith from the inside so that he might move it forward to something better, something broader, wiser, and more effective. He is demonstrating to us how it is that we can include and transcend that which we've been given, how we can grow to a new level of faith and maturity. And between uh, the appreciation and the innovation, between those two steps comes the critique. <laughs> and critique, especially by a system, not always welcomed, is it? Well, between now and Advent, we are walking through the almost end of the book of Matthew. I say almost end because the actual ending is the crucifixion and the resurrection. We covered those stories back in Lent and at Easter. But at this time of year, every year, the lectionary takes us near to the end of the gospel before starting over in Advent. And in this near end of the book of Matthew, Jesus has been in a protracted, heated conflict with the religious leaders in Jerusalem the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the teachers of the law. Now, this conflict has actually been ongoing from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, but it comes to a fever pitch in today's reading. Jesus says to his disciples, scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat, so do whatever they tell you and follow. But do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they preach. And his words only get harsher from there. I like the way uh, Dale Bruner translates scribes and Pharisees in this section. He calls them the Bible teachers and the serious. And I like that because our world has no shortage of Bible teachers and every faith has people that can be called the serious. And so by calling them the Bible teachers and the serious, Jesus' critique applies not only to other faiths, and other religions, but to our own. And that's the one we should spend our time on. 
If we take Jesus' critique to be directed at Judaism specifically, then we fall into the all-too-common anti-Semitic tropes that the church has been known for for the last 2,000 years. But if we're honest, we can say that any religion, all religion, can be corrupted by power and lose sight of what matters most. But sadly, many Christians believe that Judaism is somehow inherently flawed, inherently hypocritical, and they point to verses like this for evidence. But Jesus' conflict is not with Judaism itself. He's taking aim at the leaders of his time, who he believes have been corrupted by power. And if we are to faithfully hear Jesus' words, then we must allow him to take aim at us and the ways that we, in our faith, have been corrupted by power. In this country, where more than 60% of its residents identify as Christians, while Jews make up about 2% and Muslims only 1%, we do well to worry about our own hypocrisy and leave other faiths to do that for themselves. Especially in this time with the old demons of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia on the rise once more, we must go out of our way to both denounce these heinous sins and worry about the plank in our own eye before we even think about addressing the speck in other people's eyes. So let's do that. <laughs> Last week, Jesus told the Bible teachers in the serious that the most important commandment is to love God and to love your neighbor, and that basically these are different expressions of the same thing. And this, of course, Jesus learned from the faith that he grew up in. And that part of his faith, that gets included, even as he changes and grows and transcends to something new. And so the problem isn't that the Bible teachers and the serious didn't know these verses. They knew them, but they struggled in doing them just like we do. And that's the problem, isn't it? It's about practicing what we preach. Another word for that is hypocrisy. And if we're honest, we're all guilty of it. Of course, Jesus doesn't stop there, but he takes his critique further. He puts the spotlight on those parts of ourselves that we ignore, parts of ourselves that we deny, the parts of ourselves that we project onto other people. Psychologists call this our shadow self as contrasted with the ego. And the ego is who we think we are. It's the part of ourselves that we want the world to see, the part of ourselves that we want to succeed. But the shadow, that's the, that's the dark part of ourselves that we pretend isn't there. And shadows by nature, difficult to see, which is why they're easy to deny. And at its most dangerous, we project our shadow onto other people saying they're the ones who are the problem, not us. And left unchecked, this projecting becomes deadly. So let's confront our shadow. In what ways do we lay heavy burdens on the shoulders of others without helping to move them? Well, anytime our faith becomes about living up to some high moral standard, then we become guilty of this. Because mature faith isn't about moral conformity. Mature faith sees those who are crushed by their burdens and doesn't criticize them, but enters into solidarity with them. 
which you'll notice is exactly what Jesus did. Every time I read this verse over the past decade plus, all I can think about is how the church has treated the LGBT community, placing impossible burdens on people and being unwilling to help. What finally changed my mind about LGBT inclusion wasn't a book that I read or an argument that I heard. It was my friend Ryan who grew up himself as a conservative Baptist, and he had done everything, everything the church had told him to do to be straight. He went to seminary. He went to therapy and support groups for years on end. He married a woman in the hopes that this would change him, and it didn't. So after decades in a marriage without love, instead of living a lie, he decided to get divorced and plan on living the rest of his life alone. And when he tried to do that, he became suicidal. So he told me instead of taking his own life, he concluded that maybe God would have him love a man instead of killing himself, and so he did. And that's when I knew that what I had been taught was wrong. And I could never go back. Because I don't know much, but I know this. If there's a God, then God wants Ryan to live and to flourish. To not spend his life hating himself and trying to change himself into something that he's not. And if Christianity is placing impossible burdens on him and on countless others, then it is time to rethink some things. See, Jesus doesn't criticize people for immorality or sins as we typically think of them. Jesus' strongest criticism is always for hypocrisy, for arrogance, for thinking that we don't need grace. Because all of us, no matter who we are, we all need grace and mercy, and not just once or twice, but continually until the day we die. See, more often than not, we don't need to be told all the ways we don't measure up. We know that already. What we need is for someone to help carry the burden of our life with us. Because no one should have to do it alone. Jesus' criticism continues for wanting to be seen and praised by other people, for taking the honorable place at the banquet, being greeted in public with deference. Now, of course, we all need praise, don't we? That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's, he's exposing our fragile ego. He's exposing that part of ourselves that wants to be given special treatment, to be set apart as better than others. And I don't know about you, but I know that's true of me. <laughs> I've often compared my need for praise to that of a dog's. <laughs> it is infinite. No amount will ever be enough. Sometimes I wonder if part, at least part of the reason I became a pastor is that I get a job where every week a group of people lines up to shake my hand and tell me I did a good job. Because <laughs> most of you don't have that in your work, do you? What does that say about me? 
See, when it comes to shadow boxing, the best thing we can do is just to own up to our shortcomings. Just to say, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I do that. Help comes to us when we can admit our flaws. It's, it's the denial that gets us in trouble. See, when we hear criticism from Jesus or from other people, and our response is not to see the problem in ourselves, but to say, actually, you're the one with the problem, to project it onto other people, that's when we get in real trouble. See, the goal is not to get rid of our shadow. That's impossible. The goal is just to acknowledge its presence, to recognize those unsavory parts of who we are, to stop denying them, and to stop projecting them onto others. And when we do that, what we recognize is that we are a lot more like those people that drive us crazy than we like to admit. When we acknowledge our shadow and stop defending our ego, then all of a sudden we discover we really aren't that different from everyone else. That there is no better group of people to belong to. That we're all just siblings on this journey called life. And we're here not to burden and criticize each other, but to walk each other home. It's to see that we are both beautiful and can be a real pain in the neck. But we have a very patient teacher and an incredible divine parent who sees our shadow far better than we do and loves us just the same. See, the only way to transcend what we've been given is to own our shadow. It's humbling. And we are never more human than when we are humble. Jesus says, all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. And as always, Jesus always practices what he preaches. He was humbled for our sakes. He sees our burdens and he bears them with us. All so that we might rise together. That we might rise together with all the saints as one family. May it be. Amen.